Adoption and expensive, two words that do not always belong together. There are 120,000 children in the United States that are waiting for a forever family, and adopting through this option is extremely affordable. I'm Marcy Bursack, an adoptive mom of a sibling pair, and also the author of The Forgotten Adoption Option. Twice monthly, I will interview people like adoptive parents and adopted children who've been touched by foster care adoption. My goal is to find more forever families and increase awareness about foster care adoption. Because if it were you or me, we would want someone to do this for us. Welcome to the Forgotten Adoption Option podcast. You're in for a treat today. I will be interviewing a kindred spirit from Texas. She has been part of the foster care adoption space for eight years, and we met through a mutual friend who now lives in Texas. That friend, Natalie, was in a recent episode. I'd asked Natalie if she'd help me experiment with finding like-hearted people by passing information about my book, The Forgotten Adoption Option, onto any agencies she was connected with. Amber learned about my book and immediately saw its value as a missing piece in the foster care adoption space. She read my manuscript before it was printed, ordered 10 copies to give to parents wanting to know where to start, and she now sends me a note to let me know how each book is helping a child. Amber, I'm so excited to share airwaves with you. Amber, you were involved at a church that had a whole ministry focus to foster care adoption, and now you're helping hold foster care and adoption information sessions throughout the year. How did you get involved in doing that? Is that at the same church? Yes, it's at the same church, Kingsland Baptist Church in Katy, Texas. Um, so the driving force for us, my husband and I, like holding these adoption and foster care information sessions was pretty identical to why you wrote the book. Um, it was because it took us years to learn the lay of the land, to figure out like what are our, our options for adoption, um, to, to like look into each avenue to adoption. And there was just like no single repository for this information. And I feel like that a lack of information is a, just a barrier to action. And so um, like the Dave Thomas Foundation um, for Adoption, like they've done national surveys of Americans. And it's like 24% of Americans have considered adoption. Okay, but a really, really small percentage of that actually does it and why. And I think one reason is like, it's just too overwhelming. Like, where do I start? Like, I don't even know what to do. So um, since our church is really adoption friendly, we have um, an adoption ministry that I help run. It was easier for us to figure out how to do this. Um, like what venue to use. And so we, um, as a church host, Orphan Sunday every year. Are you familiar with Orphan Sunday? I am, but our listeners might not be. Okay, so it is um, a movement started by CAFO, Christian Alliance for Orphans, and it dedicates um, a Sunday a year. I think it's typically the first um, or second Sunday in November because November is Adoption Awareness Month. And so it is... um, a Sunday for your local church to um, ex- like basically educate the congregation about the orphan crisis. And, and it's a call to action to mobilize the congregation to help. So they provide like lots of resources for you to be able to do that, or you can just like do your own thing as well. So 
on Orphan Sunday, we would um, host these information sessions and we basically just like consolidated our knowledge into bullet points and a PowerPoint because that's who we are, <laughs> business people. And so we were able to, um, you know, people heard about adoption in the sermon. They mentioned like, oh, and there's going to be this information session. So it worked really well. And then we've also done these like one-on-one -on -one, um, whenever, you know, maybe we've just had Orphan Sunday and, and done the information session and then someone emails um, in and says they're interested in learning more. So we'll do one-on-ones as well. Um, and so it just like takes you through um, like the, the huge need there is for foster and adoptive families, the three different ways you can adopt and like all of the um, different, you know, timelines and costs and, and powers at play in those and then also resources and how to get started. And it's interesting to see, like, sometimes we have huge, some years we have huge groups, some years it's like smaller groups or just like a couple, two couples. But it's interesting to see, like, how many of those people really do go on to adopt. It is interesting. And I, I'm with you that it's so intriguing. Like, I, I, there's got to be some science that we could, like, dig into or go find, right? Because I'm like, what is it that gets people to move right now or move? Yeah soon in the future or doesn't let them move because there, there's so much there because you'd mentioned with the Dave Thomas Foundation which Rita Swornan was recently on the show and it was such an informative conversation Rita's the CEO of a Dave Thomas Foundation for Adoption and you know oftentimes when people think oh I'd like to adopt that the dream is killed it, it just like dies because they're mm -hmm. like it's expensive I can't do that and, mm -hmm. and that's how I felt for the longest time because I thought well I don't know that I would have put that kind of money into this and then didn't understand or know that there were way more options out there that could be affordable and that, that could help us to your point, help more kids. And so I'm really grateful that you all are helping to educate and share that information. Cause it sounds like it's really helping people not just know, but do. Yes, I would agree. Like there's two parts to it, right. Knowing and doing. Absolutely. And so as part of that knowing, I just wonder if you'd share a little bit here, Amber, that, you know, you're, you've been sending me and I, I love our email relationship because I have, you know, like it, it's like too long for a Facebook message. Right. So we just have these like lovely email threads back and forth, but you've been sending me one by one by one, how these books have been mobilized. And I'm just curious if, if, cause I think what is interesting is when I wrote the forgotten adoption option, the intent was, yes, I want to get this in the hands of people who might one day do this and hopefully sooner than later, because it won't take five years like it took me. Right. But what I think is such a beautiful opportunity is anyone listening, whether you think, okay, I already have enough kids, Marcy, like don't, don't even say it again. But what you do know is, you know, people. And, and I would just love Amber, if you could paint some details around like the kinds of people you hear from because I'm sure many of us could be like you know what I could do is I could probably just tell them about Marcy's book or point them to the library or like kind of help them become educated on this topic in a really simple way right um so so you're asking like the types of people that have that have um, brought forward conversations or emails then I've been able to give them your book yeah like how that's come about so um, a lot of it is through the, well, probably about half is through the adoption ministry. We have like a general uh, mailbox um, that's forwarded to my personal email address. And so um, we get things all the time about like, oh, my husband and I are interested in this, but we want to know more. And then um, I'll talk to them. I'll have like a one-on-one -on -one information session. And then if they're like, oh, we're really interested in the foster care option for adoption, then I'll be like, well, I have the perfect book for you. Um the most recent was a friend from high school. You know, I think when people are interested in this and don't know where to start, they reach out to people they know who have right. done the same thing. And so 
Um, so a friend from high school, I was like, well, I'm going to mail you a book. <laughs> and then um, a friend, um, a classmate, a mom of a classmate of one of my sons, um, I was talking with her for the first time. And it wouldn't have come up that my boys are adopted because I don't just like go out and tell everyone the first time I meet them that my boys are adopted. But generally, within the first few times I talk to them, something comes up. Um, and I'm not going to like shy away from it or hide it. So what she happened to ask me was, well, do your boys have a, just two boys? They don't have a sister. Like, mm. well, they actually do have a sister, a biological sister. And so then, um, you know, I explained that they were adopted and, and her eyes got really big and she said, I just talked to my pastor about that. I'm interested in fostering, but I don't know how to get started. So it's, sometimes it's like these really just organic things that, um, just seem God orchestrated, like, you know, that I happened to talk to her and she happened to ask that question um and that brought us around to the to the fact that my boys are adopted um so yeah those are probably the most common ways like personal connections already and they're reaching out to me um through our adoption ministry mailbox um or just um yeah just talking to random people and it happens so I'm, I'm glad to be used in this way and to have your book to give them so beautiful and I love reading your emails because they're people that I may never one day meet but it's so beautiful to hear like how simple, right? Like in the, in the comfort of your own home or headphones, whatever you're doing, right? Like you can process and think through mm-hmm. some of the things that might be inhibiting you or some of the things you might need to plan out and think ahead on. And so it's just it's so cool. And I think, um, you know, I read your entire book in two sittings and that was like over a weekend when my kids were home too, because it wasn't all new information to me. But when you're entering into like a new space, a new set of um, knowledge, it can feel like overwhelming, like it's more tiring, you know, to read about a totally new topic. And so that's why I think the book is even better, because you can go through it uh, more slowly, you can reference um, back to it, as opposed to a conversation, which is harder to, um, to remember when it's all new information. Which is why my husband always joked, like, I think you just overwhelmed the people. We're just yeah. Like, but there's so much to say. Like, there, there just is. And so, yeah. There, <laughs> yeah. And they ask one question and you're like, well, that's a long answer because you need a bunch of background. Yes. And before I even give you the answer. So, yeah, that's why I think your book um, filled a huge gap. So cool how this is all being orchestrated. So I'm curious. So you mentioned, you know, sometimes people come to you and they're maybe they know what they definitely want to pursue or maybe they're doubting something so what are the kinds of doubts and desires that you're hearing from prospective adoptive families um well the number one doubt um it is the most frequent and probably the strongest is um just like the fear of getting attached to a child and loving them and not being able to adopt them Mm. um and in some ways it's kind of hard to talk through that um this isn't something that you can just change your mind about and, and um, do mental gymnastics and get over. I think it takes like more soul searching, but um, you know, we as adults, um, emotionally mature adults have like chosen this, like we want to be a licensed foster home and help children in need. These kids did not choose to be foster children. They, and, but for the grace of God, we could be, we could be them. We could have been born into a family that could not take care of us. And so, um, you know, it's, it's just so much harder to be a foster kid than it is to be a foster parent. And I think that, um, you know, knowing how many 
kids there are that are being bounced around, that are looking for love and permanency, looking for a safe place to land, like we can make ourselves vulnerable to help them. And really by like loving anyone, you make yourself vulnerable. Um, you know, even pets, like you're gonna be, you're gonna be devastated when that pet dies one day, but we don't just not love. We don't just not reach out and help people because, um, because it could be painful to us. And so I think once um, you view foster care in that light as really loving another person who's, um, who's in like their greatest hour of need, then you realize it's worth the risk. I couldn't agree with you more. I know my own personal journey in that, that emotional space was met with realizing that, well, regardless of legally what we were on paper, like I, I'm not promised tomorrow. And so who, yeah. who knows, right? Like you don't know how much time you get with a person. And so it, to me, that's kind of how I was able to process through the, the risk. Cause it is a risk. And you mm-hmm. know, usually when you're going to go to the pet store and pick out an animal or you're going to go with a shelter or a foster, you know, if a doggy foster group or what have you, like typically, unless the dog or cat does not get along well with you or your family or you're allergic, like that, that creature's not going anywhere. And so it mm-hmm. is a very different type of risk, but I, I love that you've conceptualized that. And so Amber, at one point you had raised money for a local nonprofit group that works with foster children. I saw this online and that money was for what was called babysitter certification. Can you explain why not just anyone can babysit for children in foster care? Yeah, the um, local nonprofit is fostering the family. And so they um, work to support foster and kinship families and the communities that surround them. And one of the things that they do is babysitter certification. Um, So children in the foster care system, they're not in their parents' custody and they're not in the foster parents' custody either. They are in state protective custody. So the state is the one that carries the liability if something happens to them. So um, that's like the first part of, of why not anyone can babysit them. Um, and then the second part is that these children have been dealt like a really rough hand in life already. They've experienced trauma. So the state is adding safety measures for, for the state's sake and for the child's sake. And so, um, you know, if you're a non-relative foster parent, you have to become licensed to take foster children in. And so whenever you are not going to be present and you're going to have someone, a babysitter, watch your children, they have to be cleared as a safe person. Um, So they need a background check, fingerprints, an interview, and they have to have CPR training. Um, So to me that, that, I think to maybe other people that seems like overkill, but like when you really think about why it makes perfect sense to me. And then, um, well, you're like, I am, you know, you start off um, as parents as, as being a foster parent. And so a lot of this is like, okay, well, this is just how you do it. This is normal. This is what you do. And then you realize your, your friends who had biological kids, they'll talk about their babysitter who lives down the street. Who's like 16. I'm like, do they know how to clear the airway of a baby if they're choking? Do they know where your fire extinguishers are? Like, you're like, oh my gosh, who's watching your kids? Are they prepared for this role? <laughs> so, um, so I think, yeah, some, a lot of people will say, look, well, there's so many rules with foster kids. Yes, but a lot of them make a lot of common sense. <laughs> totally. That is so funny. And it's true. You're right. Like when, when the state is legally responsible for them, like, and I'm sure there was once upon a time something happened. So several of the rules got put down. Right. But it's right. It's, we want to be, we want to be thoughtful with how we're caring for children as, as a country. So that makes a lot of sense. 
And Amber, you've experienced um, having adopted a sibling set personally, and now you're leading a ministry, so you're helping others adopt in whatever capacity that is for them and questions they have and all those different things. Can you share any tips that you might share with those that come to you in terms of having a healthy mindset when approaching foster care adoption? Yeah, and and this is kind of related to, um, you know, to the answer I gave about um, still helping, even though you're putting yourself at, at an emotional risk. Um, it, it's really about like, if, if you're going to have the best possible experience um, going into foster care and you're going to stick with it for the long haul and you're going to be more satisfied, it's, it's really, if you can get your head around this mental shift instead of like your main goal being wanting a child for your family um, if you could shift your main goal to be helping a child in need. And again, that's not like a quick fix, not just like, well, I will myself to do that. Um, this this took me placement until placement three is when I got it. Placement three of four is when my husband are like, okay, we like, we see this for what it could be for um, like in a, just in a more healthy emotional life. Like, because if your goal is to help a child in need, you meet it with every placement, whether you adopt them or not. Um Jason Johnson says this really eloquently. So Jason Johnson is on staff with CAFO, Christian Alliance for Orphans, and he's a blogger and an author and a speaker. And the way he puts this is like foster care is less about getting a child for your family and more about giving your family for a child. And so your priority is to give, not to receive. Um, And I think when you can get there over time, you know, you welcome these kids with um, with open arms and ki- instead of kind of like white knuckling them and sweating whenever the CPS caseworker comes and you're worrying wondering like is she going has she just found a relative who's going to take them um, because you view your role as giving um, a loving safe stable home to this child and impacting them in the way that you can um, while they're in your home um, and I feel like having placements that we didn't adopt made us legit foster parents because I I feel like a lot of people could say well of course you want everyone to foster and adopt because you got to adopt every child that came into your house like you didn't experience what people view as like the greatest negative or their greatest fear or their greatest barrier to doing this um, and so when we did when we had to say goodbye to those two little boys I mean I've described it as soul crushing it absolutely was but I can honestly say I would do it over again. And I would never say like, why don't I wish that placement never happened. I wish I never knew those boys because it was too hard to say goodbye. I mean, there's just no way, you know, that I would ever say that. Um, and I think something that, that um, having two boys we didn't adopt taught me was that you can really have a lifelong impact, even on a temporary placement. Um, and so the, the older boy, the 13 month old, he had experienced a lot more trauma whenever he came to us, um, than his newborn brother. And so he had, um, like whenever we got him and I was seeing his behaviors, I was like, this is what we've learned about in class. I hadn't experienced this with my pre with my previous placement. Like, this is what they're talking about. So, um, he would um, eat to the point of throwing up because he was food insecure. He didn't know when his next meal was coming. Um, he had never had a schedule. He would have like crazy tantrums at bedtime, just with like a normal routine. Um, so it was lots of different things, but, um, whenever, you know, he stayed with us for six months and I've always said like, 
the end of those six months, I was like, this is not the child they dropped off at our house. Like it was as if you were seeing like who he would have been without all the trauma, like peeling back those layers. Like this is the real boy right here. Once he felt safe, once he was getting his needs met, once he was um, just able to relax and feel like these people are taking care of me and I don't have to like fend for myself and I know what to expect, um, he changed so much. Um, and so I, I feel like the things that we can give them are very foundational, even if they're really young. You think, oh, how can I have a lifelong impact on a kid who's barely talking? Um, but, you know, you're showing them like the build, like you're helping them with the building blocks of self-worth. Like, I see you. You're worthy of being taken care of. This 13-year-old boy did not know that. He was a discarded object in the room. He didn't know his own name. He didn't have any words because he was never talked to and taken care of. And if that's not addressed, like, how is he going to grow up, right? But we can, like, help stop that cycle. We can help, like, rewire his brain by giving him loving, healthy interaction. Um, you also teach them just even non-verbally, like, normal, healthy family relationships. Like, daddies don't hit mommy. Parents don't hit kids. Um, you are um, teaching them, like, how to give and receive care. And that's a huge life skill. And that really helps like break the cycle of abuse and neglect by forming new healthy patterns. And attachment, I don't know if you've talked about attachment on your podcast yes, but yet, but it's a um, trusting relationship um, to a loving caregiver. And it is the basis of all your future relationships in life. So once you have this secure loving attachment with a caregiver, they, um, the children look for that type of um, attachment later in life. And so this is like research-based, like you are impacting them for life for this. Like what you're doing is not in vain, even if you, you know, only have them for six months. And, you know, I hear people saying like, um, you know, they, I don't want to get too attached. I don't want to get too attached because I might not be able to adopt them and I'll be crushed. But like, they need us to get too attached. They need to see what that feels, that unconditional love, like what that feels like. Like, I will love you whether I get to adopt you or not. I will treat you just like the other children in my house. Um, and that, that is really, um, you know, life-changing for them and for you as well. Amber, you shared such great examples. I really appreciate just so our listeners can get a glimpse of the different dynamics that might be at play. And, and on the note of um, attachment, I don't think I've specifically addressed that in the podcast yet, but in the book, in my book, The Forgotten Adoption Option, I do point people to Karen Purvis's work of Empowered to Connect, which has a conference, which I think got recently renamed. Um, mm -hmm. And she has a workbook for our for Christian families called Created to Connect. And it's, you're right. It's, it's stuff that's intangible, right? Like the ability to help a child know unconditional love and feel attached to a caregiver and to feel valued like you can't mm -hmm. touch those things but they're in the core right. of the human being and so as they age those things are blossoming even more and so those are those are just wonderful wonderful examples so amber as we wrap up i'm wondering it what is something you wish the world understood about adoption through foster care um, I, I always say if, if people knew how amazing it was, a lot more people would do it. And we need a lot more people to do it. I mean, we have kids every year who turn 18 in foster system without a family who's adopted them. Um, it is by far the most meaningful and purposeful thing uh, my husband and I have done with our lives. Um, there are just so many kids out there that need, need people to step up and love them. And it's, it's easy to love a kid. It really is. 
And I really believe that we are changing the world one child at a time through fostering and adopting. And we're change, we're breaking these um, destructive patterns. We're showing them a better way. And it's not because like we're, you know, these great people are amazing parents. We just answered a call to care. We found out about the need and we decided we could be part of the solution for one kid. Um, and I don't feel like that's too much to ask. Um, and it's like really like such a privilege to, to get to know these kids and, um, and to be able to help them. It so is a privilege. And I love the way you worded that. If they could just see like how beautiful this is and how worthwhile it is. And I totally agree with you. Amber, it has been so much fun to hang out together. And I just want to say thank you to all of the, the children that you're reaching and impacting that are, you know, in so many places, whether they're in your local church or community. And it sounds like you're in touch with other people across the country too. And I just, I want to say thank you for what you're doing, because I think when we raise our voices for children who often feel muted in our society, I think it brings Mm -hmm. awareness and helps people to take action. So I really, really appreciate the work that you do. Oh, well, thank you. And I appreciate your book um, more than you know. Oh, that's awesome. Thanks, Amber. As a listener of the Forgotten Adoption Option podcast, you are helping raise awareness about foster care adoption and the 120,000 children who are waiting for a forever family. You can also help raise awareness by leaving a review, subscribing, sharing, talking about, and liking this podcast. If you'd like more information on adopting a child or sibling set through the foster care system, visit my website forgottenadoptionoption.com. There you will find out how to get started and you can even order a copy of my book, The Forgotten Adoption Option, which will guide you through the entire process and it is available in paperback, audio, and ebook. I welcome you to reach out with questions, comments, and your own story. I would love to hear if you're signing up for training or where you are in the adoption process. You can connect with me on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Just search for Marcy Bursack. Thank you for tuning in, caring, and sharing, because every child deserves a family.